Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Mana Ministry. Here we are once again in our current series, Truth Prescriptions Regarding Mental Health. My name is Chriselle Olasaran. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. And joining along with me is my co-host. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Katie Elson. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. So thank you for joining us. Before we begin, we do want to just briefly mention our disclaimer in regards to the intent of this series. We are not here to provide nor to substitute any professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Instead, rather, the purpose of this episode and all our other episodes is to provide spiritual guidance of how to utilize the Bible as a practical guide for your mental health. So we do encourage you to please always seek the advice of your mental health professional or any other health provider if any questions should arise regarding any possible condition. Yes, and we also always want to remind you that if you are in a crisis um, or have an emergency, reach out, connect to someone, especially 911, um, or um, you see here this number, 1-800-273-TALK-8255, and that way you can talk to a skilled trained counselor at a crisis center um, if you're having any suicidal thoughts. And if you're outside the U.S., of course, um, whatever your local emergency line is, you can call that immediately. Yes. So that is our disclaimer. And we want to, let's go ahead and let's start with a word of prayer before we actually get into the topic. Okay. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord in heaven, I just want to pause and take a moment to reflect on how good you've been to us in regards to giving us the truth when it comes to mental health with all the previous episodes that we had. Now, as we continue to dive into our thoughts and understanding the truth regarding our thought process and all the other cognitive distortions that we may be engaging in, we ask that, Lord, you be present, show to us, reveal to us, Lord, the ways that we can improve the way that we think and how we need to rely on you. Thank you for all that you do for us. In your name we pray. Amen. So I wanted to begin with a word of prayer because it's so important to have the source of truth to guide us in truth, right? And so now that we have our prayer and knowing that the Lord is going to guide us in understanding the truth, let's talk about our topic of the day, biblical case studies, cognitive distortions. So Katie, what exactly does it mean, biblical case studies? Well, if you have been watching our episodes thus far, you notice that in every topic or subtopic that we cover, we like to take a pause and look at characters in the Bible that had that struggle or had that improvement needed to be made. <laughs> and so we've covered, for example, with behaviors, we talked about who Grisal, do you remember? Um, I remember we talked about Elijah. Yeah, Elijah. Yes. Uh-huh. We talked about him in regards to behaviors. Mm-hmm. And then we have done biblical case studies also on David and Joseph, Joseph. for addiction. Mm-hmm. And now, since we've talked about cognitive distortions last episode, we want to then, well, what does the Bible have to say? And what can we learn from these biblical characters? Because we know that the Bible was written um, as an instruction, as a, as a guide um, for our lives as well. And so just as a reminder, last episode, we talked about the disguise of lies, mm-hmm. aka cognitive distortions. Mm-hmm. We went through the list of distortions. So 
just a quick pause. If you haven't watched that episode, you're going to want to stop this video and watch and it. Go watch it. <laughs> review the cognitive distortions because we're not going to be covering all of them today, but just highlighting a couple and the implications of those. And also, if you haven't quite watched that episode, um, we would like you to before um, we cover what was the application. So, Chrisal, those who have watched, um, they had this truth application or this truth prescription um, to help them with those distortions. And, Chrisal, do you want to review that for us? Yes. And so we left you with this truth prescription. Number one, to simply review the cognitive distortions, enhance your awareness of what they are, and then begin identifying which distortions you personally engage in. Furthermore, number two was to attempt, attempt, right, to begin changing them. And then we said that we were going to equip you with the ability to change them in the future. And so part of today's episode is just to enhance your awareness of the magnitude of how cognitive distortions can impact not only yourself, but others. And then the next episode, we're going to give you the, the, the more hands-on tools of how to go ahead and combat those thoughts. Okay. I'll just say that some of you have already began to identify those distortions. So if you follow us on Instagram, we had um, a post and um, had some of you respond with which ones you've identified so far. And the number one response was should statements, which doesn't surprise me. Um, but if you haven't quite reflected, go back to the episode, disguise the disguise of lies, and I begin identifying your own distorted thoughts. And as well as today's episode, if some of these biblical characters um, and their distortions sound familiar, then you can be also identifying your own through their experiences. Yes. And I just want to add to everything that has been said thus far. I'm super excited for this particular episode because it really sheds light on the human condition and so much more beyond what we're currently struggling with. I think I've heard many people say cognitive distortions are a result of our society today. Well, that's going to be debunked because not necessarily a result of the conditions of our society because cognitive distortions existed even in our history. So is it really the society that's the result or the reasons why we're having cognitive distortions or is there an underlying root to this problem? And that's what we're going to discover and explore today. Yes. All right. So, Chrisal, where do you want to begin? Where do I want to begin? Where do you want to begin? <laughs> well, let's begin in the beginning. Yes, of course. Right. In the beginning. And you it mentioned only seems right. What was that? I said it only seems right. Yes. And you mentioned a key point that we think that it's just kind of something we struggle with today, but not just in our history, but from the very beginning of our history. And so if you have your Bibles, again, this, this is a biblical case studies episode. So you want to have your Bibles, yes. you have your Bibles, but specifically for today, yes. more so. And we're going to turn where, Crystal? We're going to turn to Genesis chapter three. Okay, so the very beginning, the first book of the Bible. And what does Genesis 1 and 2 cover? Oh, creation, um, you know, the creation of humanity as well. And then all of a sudden, chapter 3 comes in and a temptation occurs. Yes, and what's really interesting is we typically read Genesis chapter 3 from a very spiritual lens of temptation and sin. 
Mm-hmm. Right? But we don't see the practicality of it. And the practicality of it is there are several distortions that if we believe these distortions, then we see the results of them. So let's start from the very top of three. And for the sake of time, we're not going to read every single verse, but highlight a couple verses. And I want you to start thinking, what are the distortions or the lies that are being sold or um, trying to be convincing Eve of in the situation? Okay. So let's begin with chapter three, verse one. Okay. There's something I want to highlight there. Says, so now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So one thing that really strikes me first is a description, mm-hmm. the adjective of this serpent, cunning. Because the word cunning in itself implies deception to come. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's just the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then where's the deception? Where does the deception actually lie, Katie? Yeah, what's interesting is when typically we think about the first lie that was told, we think about it being that you shall not surely die in verse four. Mm-hmm. But in verse one, we actually see the first distortion. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And this one's particularly deceiving because it uses a lot of the language that God did command, right? And that's what we highlighted in the last episode is that distortions are so deceiving because there's a kernel of truth Mm. and tweaked, distorted just enough for us to believe them, but not so much for us to dispel them. So, Chriselle, what is the distortion here? Well, the serpent is referring to God and questioning who... God really is. Has God really indeed said that to you? Has he lied to you? Who, who is God? Who is this God that you're referring to? Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is what? What cognitive distortion is that? Well, you see, before we answer that, <laughs> and leaving our viewers in, in suspense here, is, you know, it continues, right? He says, you know, indeed, and then he continues, and he says, she responds, but then he says, you will not surely die for God knows that in the day you eat of it, this is verse five, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what is he insinuating here? So wait, is God saying to her that the serpent is a serpent saying to her that God has not really equipped her with really everything she, she, she could be? Yeah, it's saying that God is withholding something Mm -hmm. from her. And so again, like you mentioned, Chriselle, it's not explicitly saying that God is a certain way, but it's insinuating that God is a certain way, Mm -hmm. that God is not just, that God is fill in the blank. And that tells us that what Satan is doing, which which distortion, if you all want to guess, labeling. He's labeling, attaching a label to God in which is not accurate. Mm-hmm. And he's not doing it directly mm-hmm. because he knows if he, does, if he does it directly, it won't be a deception. Very so He does it very indirectly. Yeah. But it's understood what he's meaning. It's like when somebody maybe doesn't call you stupid, it's but it's aggressive. indirect comments mm-hmm. in a way that is 
essentially saying you're stupid, right? So it's still labeling, but it's labeling in an indirect and even more so cunning and deceptive way. And so we see the number one, the first distortion ever to be told in our history was labeling of who God is, was, and is. Now, Chriselle, have you seen this at all with your clients? Oh, yes. I think it plays a tremendous role in how they approach themselves, how they approach others, and just how they overall view the world and humanity. Mm -hmm. So do you want to give us examples or do you want to talk? I'll give a brief example. Yeah, I'll give a brief example. Okay. Brief example. So, for example, if you have gone through trauma and you're thinking that it, it has occurred because God is punishing me, God is not a God of love, then when it comes to understanding how to process that and how to overcome it, you may seem very hopeless, thinking there's no remedy for this because if God did this and God is in control, then I'm stuck feeling this way. This is just... I, I can't overcome this trauma. I can't overcome all the negativity in my life. But if you go the reverse way, thinking God is a God of love, then you know that that trauma hasn't come from God and that God can be the gate or the window, however, or the door to be able to overcome and to leave that trauma in the past and move forward into a bright future. Yes. And I love that, Chriselle, because what you're also describing is if we believe that God is punishing, right, that label then that draws us away from him mm-hmm. and he's actually the one that can heal our trauma. So yes. we're avoiding the very same source that can help us. Here's the remedy and you're distancing yourself away from that. And we see that in Genesis chapter three, Eve, then not only does he, does a serpent have Eve believe this distortion, mm-hmm. which leads to, so here we start talking about the implications. What are the implications? The first and a second distortion, and we know that once you start with one negative lie, one negative thought, it leads to another. Well, what's the second main distortion? So the first one is that of, of labeling and labeling God as a certain way as a negative label. What's the second one, Corsal? The second one is revealed in regards to blaming. So. so I'm trying to see which first that is here. That's the third one, Chrisal. The second one is in relation to Eve specifically. Oh, to herself. Yes. 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 I skipped that one. Mm -hmm. So the first one's about God. The second one is about ourselves. Yeah. So what was Eve's distortion? She didn't think she was good enough. Mm -hmm. That she was lacking in some way. Yes, right? So not only is it saying that God is not giving you something, but what's interesting is Eve was created in the image of God. We know that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and it talks about that they were created specifically chapter 1, um, verse 27. 26, yeah. Is that she was created in the image of God. So if you believe something negatively about God, then it also translates to how you label yourself. Mm-hmm. And she viewed herself that there was something she lacked, therefore she needed this fruit. Mm-hmm. Not need, but wanted. Mm-hmm. 
So, so what first, cognitive what cognitive distortion then would be? So first one was labeling towards God. Second would be what cognitive distortion towards herself? It's still labeling, right? Because so labeling, right? How she's viewing herself. So by default, the first distortion of how we view God then impacts how we view ourselves. Mm. And then the third distortion, Purcell, results in a disruption in relationship to others, which is, in this case, Adam. Yes. So read the verses, Purcell, of what happens next. So let's just kind of briefly review. Satan tempts Eve to believe something about God, first distortion. Then as she believes that distortion, then she believes a distortion about herself, that I'm not good enough or I'm not, um, I'm lacking something. And then that distortion leads to the third, which has to do with our relationships. Mm -hmm. So she goes and she shares the fruit with her husband, Adam. And then they essentially, God calls out and says, Adam, where are you looking for them? As a result of their sin, they're hiding, right? Because they realize that they've been exposed. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then Adam responds and says, "Um, where am I? Verse 11 and 12. Verse verse 11 and 12. And God says to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then he responds, Adam, in verse 12, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. So it seems like a double fold type of um, blame here because it's like, it's, you know, the woman, but oh yeah, by the way, you made her. Which is interesting because it's tying back to the first two distortions, mm-hmm. to God and to Eve. Mm-hmm. And then what happens next is that, that the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So it's like this effect <laughs> of blame that keeps going down to, okay, boom, 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 boom. Oh, by the way, now it's the serpent, the serpent's fault. And then who and- created the serpent? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you notice that there there is truth in these statements, right? Um, these individuals, like yes, Eve had an impact on Adam. Yes, the serpent had an impact on Eve. But Crystal, what's problematic in blaming the distortion of blaming? Uh, it blinds you to taking ownership of your responsibility in your engagement in a, in a particular behavior. Exactly. So you're attributing all the responsibility to the other party, but Eve had a choice, right? She didn't have to. Now she had the choice. Then also um, Adam had the choice and even the serpent had a choice. God did not make the serpent Mm -hmm. to result in deception either. So I think a takeaway from this one first example is that domino effect right it's not just a matter of okay i have one cognitive distortion it's not going to have any impact on anything else no we see that there are consequences to having one cognitive distortion choosing to engage in it there will be others that come through right and not only that but there's an impact in the way that we view god impact on the way that we view ourselves and how we are in relationship to others as well Yes. And so for the rest of this episode, we're going to be highlighting different biblical characters who, because of their distortions on their view of God, themselves, 
and relationships really had a negative impact. Now, this is so important to start with because we see the three, but Chriselle, what are the implications or the consequences of these distortions? Are they just simple little lies that I believe and, you know, it's the consequences are not that important? Oh, no. There can be generational consequences. Well, I might be Genesis might, 3. Generation. I can keep going. <laughs> all of this world. All of this, all of humanity. So all we see that these three distortions, but primarily it starts with the biggest distortion is labeling God. Yes. And so I would, I would just take a moment to challenge you. If you've noticed that you engage in cognitive distortions, which was our truth application from the previous series or episode, kind of go up that ladder. Ask yourself, if I have a cognitive distortion in regards to myself, is that a reflection of a distortion in how I view God? Because it's a ladder, it's a domino effect. Mm-hmm. And have a moment of reflection because you usually will find that there is a distortion there. Yes. And so it started in the very beginning of time and we see that it happens at the very end. And for the sake of time, we're not going to go into it, but if you read the book of Revelation, there are so many distortions. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the ones that I want to highlight is in Revelation chapter 12, verse nine, it tells us who the serpent is. Because if you think about it, we read the serpent and we just, you know, random animal. (laughs) It's well, I won't say let's read it. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Who is behind this, the major cognitive distortion and the three distortions in the very beginning of time? Mm -hmm. So do you have that for us? Yes, I do. And it reads, so the great dragon was cast out that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So we see here that he's the serpent. Mm-hmm. And the serpent is the devil and Satan. And not only that, but his character is revealed, the truth, right? That he deceives the world. He's the deceiver. Yes. He's that cunning serpent. Yes. And we might say, okay, you know, that's, that's what the verses say, deceiver, cunning. But even in the words devil and Satan, there's more to understand. Now, back then, you know, names were not just random names or titles that we give people. They were descriptions of who they were. And so Satan and the devil, it's not that he has multiple names. It's because they're descriptions. Now, in the original words, whether it's Hebrew or Greek, uh, Satan or Diablos, um, what essentially that and he has other descriptions of Abaddon, Apollyon and so forth. Those descriptions mean adversary. So someone who goes against, goes against whom? God. Mm. He also has, uh, it also means mudslinger. Mudslinger means to throw mud, to kind of throw mud or cast shade someone's reputation or someone's character. Is that someone? God. Right. It also means deceiver. So we see that there are multiple names given to describe that Satan is behind these lies. We read John 8, 44 last time that says he's the father of all lies. But it's not just he's a father of any lies. We're understanding this episode that his primary cognitive distortion is labeling God. I would say that's just the one distortion. 
the other two are just consequences. Mm -hmm. Then by default, us and our relationships. So from the beginning, Genesis 3, to the end, Revelation 12, we have a better understanding of who is behind these distortions, why he's behind them, right? He wants to attack God's character and the implications. Genesis to Revelation. What's so beautiful is that Genesis chapter 3 has a tree that resulted in these consequences. And then Revelation, at the end of Revelation, we also see a tree, but this tree is for the restoration of those lives. Amen. So beautiful. Now, Chriselle, let's jump into some biblical characters. And in some ways, we could also kind of make this more like a game for those who are watching. <laughs> uh, we'll read them. We'll read these experiences. But we want you to guess which cognitive distortion they are engaging in. So let's start semi in the beginning. We'll probably go chronologically. Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter, well, Genesis well, chapter actually, 12. 12. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's 12 and 20, but. Um, okay. So I'm turning to Genesis chapter 12. Mm-hmm. And this is in regards to the story of Abram and his wife, Sarai. 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 Mm-hmm. There's different pronunciations for that. And they're coming to Egypt, right? They're traveling to Egypt. And there's a particular situation that occurs here prior to entering Egypt. Yes. Okay. So reading chapter 12, verses 10 to 13, and it reads there. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful continence. There's some truth there. <laughs> Therefore, it will happen. When the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. I see some key words here. <laughs> yeah, so let's pause here. So what are some key words? Well, it says here, therefore, it will happen. So did Abram know the future? He's saying it will happen. Not maybe, it will. He sounds like he knows the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds like some um, uh, cognitive distortion. <laughs> yes. And, well, should we talk about which distortion it is or shall we continue? Let's, con- let's say it and then go to the next one because there's a sequence of them here. Okay, okay. So these are, this is a tip for you to identify this distortion. Whenever you say it will happen, it's going to happen, you are predicting the future, which if you could guess it. Jumping to, said, con- jumping to conclusions, fortune telling. Yes, jumping to conclusions, specifically fortune telling. Mm-hmm. He is telling the future. Now, what is the con- what's, what's problematic about that? Was that he's predicting he's the predicting- future? He's predicting something that's not going to happen. Well, well, we don't know. We don't know, but he, it's setting him up to make a decision as a result of fortune telling. Not just any decision, but it's resulting in him lying, mm-hmm. doing wrong because of distortion. So we see that, right? So, and not just himself, but making his wife to lie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Now let's see what's the result of this versus 18 and 18. Well, hold on. There's another cognitive distortion in just that verse alone. Oh, I missed it. It says, therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, so that's another form of jumping to conclusions, but mind reading. True. You you knowing what this person's going to say, because you apparently know exactly what all their thoughts are. So that's mind reading, just another form of jumping to conclusions. And we could even add a third one of, it's a bit of catastrophizing, right? Magnification. It'll kill me. It's Mm -hmm. magnifying. He just went Mm -hmm. from, my wife is beautiful to they will kill me. Now, remember with distortions, there's some truth to it. There's a possibility that this might happen, Mm -hmm. but saying for sure it will happen can result in negative consequences. And now, Chriselle, let's... Well, let's, let's actually read what happened, and then we're going to come back to those three main distortions that we covered in Genesis 3 and how that applies here. So we see in the, in the following verses, I don't want to read each one, that they go into Egypt, right? And yes, they do recognize that she's beautiful. So Abraham was correct, right? That's truthful, right? But then as a result, in verse 15, the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Mm-hmm. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, etc. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And I said, why? Why would he plague? Right? And then Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So wh- why do you think it upset the Pharaoh so much? Well, he says there, I might have taken her as my wife. So it's interesting because, and we talked about this as well, sometimes we engage in these distortions, fortune telling, for example, to protect ourselves. If I think about the worst case scenario, I'm going to protect myself, right? Oh, then he won't kill me. But he may have had a self-sabotaging thought in the way that maybe he didn't kill you, but he might have taken your wife as his wife. His own. Mm-hmm. And then maybe have killed him. Who knows? But we notice that instead it says, take her and go your way. So it doesn't end up the way that he expects. It doesn't end up as he expects. And then remember the third component of cognitive distortions in terms of its impact is that it, it could have led him to commit sin, the Pharaoh, of taking someone else's wife as his own. And that's what him. The truth, I could have committed this, but I didn't now that it's been revealed the truth. Yes. That, that so, Crystal, your video froze. We were talking about previously. Okay, there we go. Okay. So, Christelle, we see here um, that this actually, it's not explicitly stated, but this stems from a distrust of God being able to protect Abram and his wife. So, mm-hmm. he took it upon himself to lie. So, there's a distortion about God, then there's a distortion that impacts Abram himself and his wife, mm-hmm. and then that also impacts his relationships with others, including the Pharaoh as well as potentially Pharaoh's view of God, right? What type of God do you serve if you don't even believe that God can protect you and your wife? Wow. So it's like 
our engagement in cognitive distortions can have an interactive effect on the cognitive distortions engaged by others. Exactly. Wow. Well, let's continue. So Genesis now chapter 25. And this one's kind of just a funny one. Um, I just wanted to include because sometimes how ridiculous we are, but it's very true. And we'll see the consequences of something that seems so ridiculous. Well, this is a simple thought and yet can have significant consequences. Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 to 34. Now, for those of you maybe are not as familiar with the story behind Esau and Jacob, they were twins. And the Bible kind of describes a funny um, scene of them fighting in, in the mother's womb of who will come out first. And depending on who comes out first, because whoever is the firstborn had certain privileges and not just privileges, but um, a significantly wealthier and privileged life. Mm-hmm. And so Esau was the one who came out first. So he has his birthright. Now, Chriselle, do you want to read the verses or do you want to kind of give us an overview of what happens? I'll read the verses. So now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew for I'm weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Someone might be like, where in the world is this cognitive distortion? (laughs) This one is not as apparent. And I think it's also because you read it a little bit quickly. And typically I was expecting you to read it a little bit more dramatically. Because oh, sorry. One, you're good at that, and and two, we want to read it as okay, if. Okay, okay. Let me read, let me let me reread verse thirty-two. And yes. Esau said, "Look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Just give me that little." <laughs> so the question is, Chriselle, would he have died without those lentils? No. No. What's the truth in that distortion? What do you mean? I don't quite see a truth because he's not going to die. He's hungry. Oh, okay. That's obvious. Yes, he's hungry. And it sounds ridiculous because I'm guilty, maybe, too, especially when, I was, when we were kids. I'm starving. And what would our dad say? He says, you, you don't even know what starving is. And trust me, you don't want to know. Mm-hmm. And he would talk about the kids in Africa or other people, right, that are starving. You're hungry. There's a truth, but then we're exaggerating that we're exaggerating truth, it, yeah. which is an indicator of which distortion. Magnific- magnification or catastrophe? Oh, I have a tongue tie. Catastrophizing. <laughs> Catastrophizing. Blowing it out of proportion. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was hungry. He's, oh, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And what was the result or consequences of that distortion? He was so hungry that he was willing to give his birthright to his brother. Yes. And it says here in verse 34 that he despised his birthright. Mm-hmm. He didn't see value in it. And we see that from here onward, um, there's a continual fight and tension and conflict between these two brothers, not just between these two brothers, but their families and so forth. Um, now, it's beautiful later on, God does restore that relationship, but we see that the consequence is 
in the situation, selling the birthright and having conflict with his brother. Now, what I find interesting too is that Jacob took advantage. Now, one little side note here is we are more prone to engage in cognitive distortions. We're more vulnerable to the enemy of listening to these lies when we don't engage in healthy behaviors. When we're hungry, when we're not sleeping well, when we are not taking care of ourselves, our brain is not functioning. Our frontal lobe is not able to make good decisions and to listen um, and be able to discern truth or lies. So just a side note, he's vulnerable and Jacob takes advantage. Even, you know what they call Jacob, interestingly enough, in the Bible? Hmm. The deceiver. Oh, really? So Jacob here represents also a deceiver. Wow. So that's our other example. But let's continue now, Crystal. For the sake of time, we're going to cover a not specific verses, but a story of a people. Not we. We covered individuals. Mm-hmm. We covered a couple. We covered. Uh, brothers, and now we're going to cover a huge family, (laughs) the Israelites. Now, there are way too many distortions to cover in the story of the Israelites. Mm -hmm. So, Crystal, can you give us a a general, um, we're going to talk mostly about kind of the Exodus, right? Let's Mm -hmm. let's focus a little bit more on the Exodus. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about that background of the Exodus? Of the Israelites who were held captive in Egypt. And finally, Moses was sent to deliver God's people. So they exit Egypt, and it's amazing. Everything is great. God has saved us. And then there's a period of time where they're in the quote-unquote wilderness, and they're wandering for years. How many years? 40 years. And it's interesting because history tells us that essentially taking the route that they took didn't need to take 40 years. But during this 40-year period, there were a whole bunch of cognitive distortions that occurred that is a reflection of the way they view God, the way they view themselves, and the way they view others. So we're going to kind of briefly talk about those because as Katie mentioned, there's a lot of them. Yes. And so great description and and background, Priscilla. What I find fascinating is, you know, and just to highlight a couple more details, there were miracles. There were so many evidences of who God really is, who they are, and the impact on their relationships as well. And yet, they ignored those miracles. And so if you have time, please read the story, the, the book of Exodus, um, to give more further context. And remind me, Crystal, a little bit later on to touch on evidence when we talk about the Israelites. Okay. So, Crystal, is there any particular verses we want to highlight? Um, I know that, you know, the beginning of Exodus first talks about them still being in Egypt. And so we want to highlight them coming out of, of, of Egypt. And they, again, they just even saw the big Red Sea open up, right? God is feeding them. God is taking care of all their needs. And then something happens where, you know, they start getting hungry. Something happens when they're you know, complaining, and they start engaging in cognitive distortions, which we see also they were vulnerable, being in the wilderness, yeah. being hungry, 
right? Being weary, just like Esau. So when we're more vulnerable, we're more at risk to have these distortions and to believe the enemy whispering in their ears. You know, Kitty, I know that we want to go past the Red Sea crossing, but I know that for me, like, one of like the most, the, the biggest decisions they engaged in uh, was to even say that they wanted to go back and serve the Egyptians. Like that to me was kind of like bewildering. Like, how can you say that when you've witnessed so much? And I'm not saying this from a place of judgment, because we also, sometimes we have God show us countless times in our own lives, how he's been with us. And then something happens and all of a sudden we forget that God has been there for us. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm currently in chapter 14 verse, verse 11. So here comes Pharaoh and the Egyptians and here's the Red Sea right in front of them. And they're coming and they're freaking out, right? They're freaking out. And they say to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we've told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Wait, I thought you didn't want to serve them. You're like, save us, Moses, save us. All of a sudden you you want to go back and serve them for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So there's a couple of different cognitive distortions here. It would have been better fortune telling, predicting the future. Um, that we're going to die in the wilderness, fortune telling. And catastrophizing. Catastrophizing, magnifying. What else do you think? Blaming Moses, right? Blaming Moses. We see that the root, again, is distrust of God, labeling that God is evil, that God does not have their good intentions, Right. Because Moses was just a leader, a a representative of God. And so the heart of this is distortion about God, right? And that results in many uh, negative cognitive distortions. Yes. And I'll just briefly, I know, let me add a little bit more here. So Moses responds and says, don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Okay. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord goes to Moses and says to him, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Mm -hmm. So how many times have we stayed there engaging in cognitive distortions, complaining, blaming, whatever it may be. When the Lord says, paralyze, exactly, Katie, paralyze. When the Lord says, just march, have Mm -hmm. faith, march. Don't engage in those thoughts. There's no need for it. I love that, Chriselle, because Satan wants them to be paralyzed in their fear. And what's interesting about this in relation to mental health is the number one treatment for fear-based disorders is exposure therapy. It's the approach is to what you said here, go forward, march forward. Mm -hmm. So one small implication of the cognitive distortion is if you believe it, it paralyzes you and does not allow you to accomplish the very same thing that could be for your salvation. And and it doesn't allow you to move forward into the gateway where salvation is found. It draws you away from God and and keeps you stuck in your fear. Yeah. Now, quickly now, if you go over to chapter 15, 
you'll see there that, wow, they just saw the Red Sea open. So they murmured, they complained, it would have been better than the Red Sea, and they're praising God and they're singing. And then they hit another roadblock. So you notice that what makes them vulnerable to cognitive distortions is stress, trials, difficulties, adversity. And I see like an overall theme in terms of their approach to all of this is like an all or nothing approach. Either we're like all for God. Yes, we love him. We love him. Or God, where are you? It's miserable, right? Not having that healthy fluctuation. Okay. Yes, God, I recognize that I'm struggling. I need your help. Okay, God, um, I do see your presence, but at the same time, I'm having a lack of faith. Show your presence, right? That balance that, that, but they go to these extremes. Rachel, I'm so glad that you bring that up. It is the human experience when we do have an overall distortion of God to have all or nothing relationship with him. So you notice that it, I didn't say it's a human experience, period. No, you can be able to come to a point where you are not complaining. You're actually running to God during difficult times. But if you find yourself saying, why God? God, why are you punishing me? God, um, my, uh, my faith is shaken in you during a difficult time. It's probably because you have a distortion about him. Yeah. Right. And they had distortions about who God was. And we see that now in uh, chapter 15, um, where it talks about towards the end of chapter 15, that they you know, couldn't drink waters because they were, it was bitter. And verse 24 says, and the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Right. And then we see him go to God and God provides the water. And then later in chapter 16, then they need food. And verse two says the whole congregation murmured against Moses again and Aaron. Verse three, similar language as you read for self. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and then we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Wow, this is super distorted. Really? Who would do that? Why would I go through all the work to deliver you and then kill you? That's just ridiculous. And Kitty, and this, I think, is an indication of how we ourselves struggle, right? We have a cognitive distortion. And then it gets defeated. God reveals himself, whatever may happen. We repeat the pattern. The same type of cognitive distortion engage again. And then we're saying, God, where are you? Well, God was present before. And there's just this pattern. And I like to say that because sometimes we, we may say, oh, you know, I have one cognitive distortion. Usually there's a pattern, mm-hmm. right? They don't, they're not isolated. They stem from somewhere. And we see that they stem from distortion of God. God. Notice there, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord. The Lord wasn't trying to kill them. I don't know how many times, because it's so sad that I hear people saying, God is punishing me. And even some Christians saying, quoting Job, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Uh, Do you remember the context of that phrase? Job didn't notice that there was Satan and God as main characters. And who can we attribute the the tribulation to? Satan. Satan. Job was written first for that reason, to challenge your core beliefs, your 
also core beliefs, but cognitive distortions about who God is. Mm-hmm. The Israelites believe that all good and all bad came from God, but the Bible does not teach that. It says that all good comes from God and all evil comes from the enemy. But remember, the enemy, his name is Satan and devil because he secretly is trying to mask himself, disguise himself, and then say that it's all God's doing. God is trying to kill them, and he wasn't. He was trying to save them. So we see, Chriselle, there's a pattern here of many distortions, catastrophizing, blaming, and so forth. But one of the ones that the Israelites engaged in the most was mental filter. Over the course of their history, they filtered out the positive blessings and miracles God had done and held on to the negative things. And overall, in the course of their life, is something that we can learn that we also do. When we're in a moment of despair, you, you and I could talk probably hours about different cases of clients that engage in this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't do this. I want you to name all the times, the, the things you've gone through where you said that and you got through it. Mm-hmm. They filter out. Oh, um, I had one today who said, I can't enjoy life or I don't enjoy life. I said, at all, that's all or nothing. Mm-hmm. What are all the moments you enjoy life, right? God doesn't listen to me. God is not hearing me. God is not with me. What are all of the times that God has been with you? Mm-hmm. And so we notice that we're starting to uh, challenge these thoughts by looking at what's the evidence. Mm-hmm. And I said that I wanted to come back to that. Remember I said for you to remind me? I remember you saying that. I don't remember what to remind you of. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Maybe it'll come back to me later. So, Chriselle, we want to briefly touch on, um, now there's another biblical character, but one that was tempted to believe distortions, and he did not. Who was that? Well, praise God that he didn't, mm-hmm. or else... Our relationship with each other would be very different. Our relationship with God would be very different. And that's Jesus Christ. And that's found in Matthew chapter 4. It's also found in Luke chapter Mm 4. So either one. Um, We won't read it, but we'll highlight key verses. So we see... The two main characters, again, there, Satan and God, God being Mm -hmm. Jesus. And Satan comes, and he's trying to tempt him with a distortion, well, multiple. And now all these distortions start with, if you are the son of God, do this, right? And we see that the first one in verse 3 of Matthew chapter Mm 4, then 6, the second time, and then the third one, we see later on in verse eight, starting in eight. um, Mm -hmm. And he then tempts him to to fall down and worship him. Now, Chriselle, what distortion is this? Well, he's saying, if you are the son of God, so if you claim to be this person, this character, so here we go again, he's attacking the essence, the character of God. And we know that Christ and God are one. So 
Now it's interesting because so we mentioned the first main distortion is labeling God, right? And attacking his character. The second one is the self, which Jesus is God. So we see that. And then three, it's the implications of relationships. If Jesus were to believe these distortions and question if he is God or try to prove that he is God and, and you know, do the things that he was asking him to do, what implications would that have had um, on relationships and on us? All of humanity would be in a different place or time. Who knows what would have happened? Well, we would, we would not have had salvation. Yeah, we would have been doomed. Mm-hmm. So I hope that people are recognizing the degree, the severity of the consequences of distortions. Adam and Eve's led to all of humanity having to deal with a sinful and broken world, right? Then we see um, the implications of Abram and Sarai, right? She could have been someone else's wife and um, Pharaoh also believing something about God and maybe even Pharaoh then and his whole nation, right? We see with Israelites as well that it could have also applied because Israelites were to be a people, to be a light to others. Um, you saw in Jacob, tension in the family. So whether it results in your community, your family, just so many implications. And Jesus himself, if he had, would have sealed our fate of death. But he didn't. And we could provide so many examples where Jesus was tempted to have distorted thoughts, but he didn't. So the question is, Chriselle, how do we start combating these distortions? Satan is telling us lies. Then how do we combat those lies? Well, we see here just through the example of the way Christ combated it, which is the ultimate way to do it, is he says, it is written. Written where? Written in the word of God. And we know that God does not change. Therefore, whatever is written, all the promises that he has for us in terms of deliverance will not change. So if we're trying to change our cognitive distortions by creating a response just from ourselves, that can change. It's not solid, but the word of God does not change and it is solid. And so we're going to go and read some verses in regards to the power of the word of God, because the Bible speaks of this power. And remember, the word of God, another way that it's referred to is truth. Mm -hmm. So Satan is feeding us lies. The way to combat lies is with the truth, not with positive thinking, as we covered in a prior episode, but with the truth. And so we're going to see the power of that truth. Hebrews chapter four. Now, what's really fascinating is if you read Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, you see a history of the Israelites as well, and how because of their cognitive distortions, especially their distortion and their distorted view of God, it says that they were not able to enter into the promised land, into Canaan. Verse 11, we can see that. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. The example they're referring to are the Israelites. But then it's saying, let us enter into that rest. 
I want rest. I want rest for my thoughts. I want rest for my life. And this is talking about an eternal rest as well. So how do I enter there? Uh, Verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That so does is that so mean that if, does that mean then that if I am not sure if my thought is healthy, right? And I'm thinking it's not a cognitive distortion. If you want to do a double take and check again, check the word of God. So if you have thoughts that you're not lovable, that you're not enough, that you're not good enough, the word of God will prove to you that that's not true. Exactly. And the word of God, we see that it has a twofold um, ability here. It's if we consume the word of God, if we, um, if we take it in, right, that can help us prevent having distortions in the first place. Mm-hmm. But then also, if we are to hear those lies, then we could use it as a way to fight the enemy, right? Mm-hmm. Now it continues, it says, and there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we can give account, which kind of sounds a little scary. If like God knows these lies, he knows my thoughts, but although we may believe these lies and these lies may lead, um, result in multiple negative consequences, we shouldn't focus on ourselves or our lives. We should focus on someone else. Yourself, you want to read verses four to six, 14 to 16? Yes. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So how does that apply, Gersal, to how to overcome distorted thoughts? Well, we need to come to our high priest, Christ, right? And recognize that he understands, he sympathizes with our struggles because he himself was tempted. And we saw that in Matthew chapter 4. However, he was able to overcome. And so if he holds the key of understanding how to overcome and we need to overcome, turn to him and he will help you overcome. Exactly. So but it doesn't just say turn to him. Hold on. There's a particularly, it says boldly. What do you think that means, Katie, in terms of its implications? Boldly. Well, the only way that you can come boldly is if you first recognize him as our high priest, and that he lived a life of suffering for us. So essentially, you need to be able to dispel the first major cognitive distortion. You need to know who God is in order to then come boldly to his throne of what? Grace. Grace. If you have a distortion that God is punishing, evil, malignant, whatever it may be, then you need to be able to change that. So you change it by spending time to get to know him, get to know him. And as you get to know him, then that also helps you when you are tempted to come back boldly to the throne of grace. Now, some of you may say, I don't really quite know him. And 
I don't know if I should come to the throne of grace. What does that really mean? Sometimes, kind of like we had an episode on, you have to exercise in order to start being motivated. You don't wait for motivation. Don't wait to fully know God to come to him. Just come to him. Start to get to know him. You don't go on a date. You don't try to know everything about the person before you go on a date. Go on a date, get to know them. Go out with God, get to know him, and he will reveal himself to you. Going back to the example of the Israelites, they were complaining, and God didn't stop and say, okay, let me dispel all your cognitive distortions and reveal to you that they're wrong. He said, just go forward, (laughs) right? Knowing that in going forward, the answer, the dispelling of the cognitive distortions will take place in live action. Yes. We talked about motion creates emotion. Uh-huh. So motion here we see changes our cognitive distortion. So come boldly before the throne of grace. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris, let's have a word of prayer to, yes, go ahead. One, one more Bible verse. Okay. okay. One more Bible verse in Ephesians chapter six, verse 16. Okay. okay. And this, uh, I like this Bible verse because it's very straightforward to the point. So no one can argue that God himself can do this for us. Ephesians chapter six, verse 16. And it reads above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And I like this because we know that part of the human condition is that these flaming darts are coming. Mm -hmm. They're not from God. They're from the evil one. Mm -hmm. However, what we do know is that we can find protection by having the shield of faith. So I love this verse because it's very balanced in terms of the truth. The evil darts are coming. They will be present. However, you can extinguish them only by what? Having the shield of faith in all circumstances. And just for maybe some homework is to read this chapter and recognize we highlighted the sword, which is a a weapon of offense. We, we highlighted the shield, which is uh, on being on defense. Mm-hmm. But there's also a whole armor of God. So read about this whole armor of God, because in verse 12, it says, we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This is not just lies that we have in our thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's a big battle that's happening over you. And it starts with distortion of who God is. My hope and prayer is that people can get to know God and that they can find him as a loving, forgiving God, full of grace and mercy and truth. To know who he really is, because all of that is God. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father God, I want to thank you so much for your word and through your word, uncovering the lies, unmasking the evil one, and also God, most importantly, showing your true character, that you are God of love, of understanding and forgiveness. Lord, please help us. Give us the desire in our hearts because we can't even draw near to you on our own. Give us the desire to read about you, to connect with you, to spend time with you. And maybe some of us don't quite believe in you or maybe we have believed in a distortion Mm -hmm. about you. Mm -hmm. Reveal that to us, God dispel that lie and help us see who you truly are. We pray these things in your name.
Amen. All right, Christelle. So we always want to end with a application. Truth prescription. Yes. So here it goes. Reflect on the distortions, the lies, right? That you've believed about God, yourself, and others, that domino effect that we were referring to in our episode today, and how they have impacted your life. Secondly, we need the word to combat these distortions. Thank God that we have the word to combat these distortions. So find at least one, because there are many, biblical verse to memorize and to start changing your distortions, taking up the whole armor of God and fighting against the evil one, the deceiver who is still working out there to deceive us. Right. You need both, both the reflection Mm -hmm. and the application. Yes. And then we will, of course, see you in two weeks. And we always like to say to don't forget to take your daily dosage of the truth. Why, Christelle? Because the truth will and it shall set you free. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.